Thank you for tuning in to the Access Church Podcast of the Week. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged by this message. I want to talk to you about overcoming the spirit of fear in your life. Marcus, Marcus told me, he said, he said, it's hard for you to train timid people because you're too bold. He didn't know me 10 years ago. <laughs> he didn't know me when I first started doing evangelism. I was too scared to even talk to someone, so I just handed him a track. But I've spent 10 years of my life crushing fear. Crushing fear. And so I want to talk to you about how to overcome the spirit of fear in your life. And, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit before I dig into the scripture about my last trip to Nepal and, uh, and what happened in Nepal. Because a lot of times when an evangelist comes, right, we, we, we have 45 minutes to change your life, right? So, so what we're doing is we're giving you all our highlights, we're digging into the scripture, and we're gone. We don't really have time to talk about the hard things that happen. Right? It's not that I'm ashamed of anything hard that happens. I just don't have time to talk about it usually. But it ties into the sermon today. So I want to talk to you about our last trip to Nepal. You heard the amazing victory. Nine churches were planted. Amazing. Let me tell you something. That trip was the hardest, most exhausting trip of my life. From the day we got there, there was nothing but opposition. I mean, spiritual, practical, Every way there was opposition, there was attacks, sickness, demons visiting us in our, in our hotel room at night. I mean like crazy stuff, right? And so here we are in, in this dark city in, in a closed country, Kathmandu, Nepal, and we're attempting the first crusade in Kathmandu in over 10 years because people are afraid. Because of the, the pressure, because of the opposition. So this got blown up to be like national news, right? It was on every media outlet. People were talking about us. There was viral posts. People were protesting us. I mean, from day one, the day we got there, people started protesting on the grounds of the crusade. Radical Hindus protesting on the grounds of the crusade. When they realized we weren't backing down, they started escalating. They started threatening us. When they realized we still weren't backing down, they started threatening the owner of the grounds of the, uh, where we were having the crusade. When they realized we still weren't backing down, they started threatening government officials. They said, we're armed. It's going to be a bloodbath if you don't stop this. This is what we're facing in Nepal, right? At this point, 30 of the 40 pastors who we had planned this crusade with had already backed out. They said, it's too dangerous. We're not doing it. They told their people, don't go, it's too dangerous. We said, no matter what, we're moving forward. No matter what, we're moving forward. But then the government stepped in, right? So, so here's another challenge, because when it's just the people making threats, we're not backing down, but when the government steps in and what you're doing is illegal, you kind of have to adjust plans, right? So we, the night before the crusade, the government said, you guys aren't doing it, it's canceled. They had turned a blind eye up until that point. So the night before the crusade, they said, you guys aren't doing it. It's canceled. So we had to change locations, quickly change locations, the night before the crusade and inform all the churches and all the Christians and tell them, don't put it on social media. Just invite your unsafe friends. This is the new location of the crusade, right? So then we're going to that location. The next morning, everything's set. We got it set up. We had a new place where we could fit a few thousand people, a uh, thousand in a building and, and 2,000 outside. And, and so we had a, a new place where we could fit some people. 
and, uh, and we were set to go. That morning, the radical Hindus found out where we were again. So it was a pastor who owned this land. So they came to his land at four in the morning. How many Christians you know will get up at four in the morning for anything? <laughs> These guys are serious. They got up at four in the morning. They went to the grounds and they began threatening the pastor. So he locked the doors and ran away. This is the day of the crusade. Okay, at this point, I'm very irritated. This is the day of the crusade, and this guy got up and ran away. So my partner in Nepal calls this guy, and he says, listen, thousands of people are showing up here today. We can't stop it at this point. Either come back and open the door, or I will break your door down and buy you a new door. <laughs> like, like, there's nothing we could do to stop it. These people are coming. So you have to, so, so he came back. He agreed. He came back. He unlocked the church. He allowed us to have the crusade. You, you, nothing happened. Nothing happened. All those threats, nothing happened. The devil is a lot more bark than he is bite. <laughs> he prowls around like a lion, but he's not the lion. Jesus is the lion. All those threats. And I want you to know that those three days of services that we had were the most powerful services I have ever been in in my entire life. I have never seen so many signs and wonders. I've never seen so many demons cast out. We had, even on the first day, with all this stuff going on, 30 of the 40 pastors saying they're not coming, telling their people not to come. Even then, on the first day, we had 1,500 people show up. Over the course of three days, we had 600 first-time decisions for Jesus. We launched nine churches. Signs and wonders. Crippled people getting up. Deaf people hearing. Mute people speaking. Can you imagine what would have happened had I bowed to fear? I was the leader of this trip. It was my decision. My partner there kept saying, maybe we should cancel. Can you imagine what would have happened if I had let fear make my decision for me? 600 people would still be going to hell. I question how many people are still going to hell because the church bows to fear. <clears throat> I'm not trying to be mean. I feel like it got really heavy for a second there. I'm gonna, it's going to lighten up. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not, listen, I'm really not trying to get down on anyone because the reality is, is that every person in here, including myself, either is struggling with fear and anxiety or has gone through the struggle with fear and anxiety and come out the other end, right? Anxiety and fear is the biggest thing holding the church back around the world. If you look even at just the statistics in America, 20% of American adults are diagnosed with an anxiety order, disorder. Those are the ones diagnosed. The number is actually much higher. This anxiety thing is crippling the church. Every altar call I have, no matter what I'm preaching on, every altar call I have, I have people coming forward and asking for prayer for, for crippling anxiety, to be set free from fear, to be set free from anxiety. I want to actually read you a message I got from your church. 
<laughs> I preached at Scott's church. He's one of my mentees. I preached at his church a while back, and I prayed for a girl at my table. She came up. She said she was with her husband. She said, I, I have life-controlling anxiety. Um, it, it affects every part of my life, this and that. And she asked for prayer. So I got this, this message from her months later. She said, you probably don't remember me, but I want to say thank you. You prayed over me with my husband next to me at Morning Star Fellowship Church in Q-Town. You lifted a heavy burden off of me. Of, of course, you understand I didn't lift anything. He does the heavy lifting. <laughs> I just ask him to do it. <laughs> she said, I recently quit my job and started another one working at a daycare in a church with church values. Listen to this. I haven't had any anxiety or panic attacks since I met you. Also, I've let go of everything. And I've never felt so free. <laughs> This is what Jesus paid for. This is what Jesus paid for. To have a group of people who could run around saying, Jesus, since I met you, I haven't had an anxiety or panic attack since. Jesus, since I met you, I have never felt so free. This is what Jesus paid for, church, for us to be free from fear. Do you know that the Bible says do not fear, commands us not to fear, more than any other command in Scripture by far? By far, nothing even is a close second. If you count do not be anxious and all the other derivatives of do not fear, 365 times in Scripture. What did you say, Scott? One a day. So in other words, if you want to be anxious and fearful on February 29th every four years, that's your business. Okay? But... The other 365 days of the year, there's no excuse, right? No, but it commands us 365 times not to fear. That tells me two things. First, it tells me that it is supremely important in the heart of God that we overcome this thing. It is supremely important in God's heart that we overcome fear. And I want to tell you why. There are two great motivators on earth, fear and love. You cannot operate in both at the same time. You cannot walk in love if fear is making your decisions. It's impossible. They're, they're opposing each other. In the Bible, if you read the scripture, it says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Anyone who fears has not been perfected in love. It says you do not inherit a spirit of fear, but of boldness and of love. And of a sound mind. There's a clear contrast in scripture between these two motivators. Listen, love can cause a mother to flip a car off her child. Turn into the Incredible Hulk. Right? And fear can make a dictator kill an entire race of people. They're the two strongest motivators on earth and they cannot operate together. It is supremely important in God's heart that we overcome fear and enter into his peace. The second thing that it tells me is that he knew it would be our biggest struggle. <sighs> that he knew that overcoming fear for many people would be one of the biggest struggles they faced. So he commanded and reminded over and over and over and over and over again. I want to teach you something from the scripture. I encourage you to take notes as we get ready to dig into the scripture. I want to teach you how to live ruled by the peace of God. 
So that fear is not even an issue anymore because you are just completely enveloped in his peace. Amen? Do you guys know that you're called to peace? One of you did. Do you guys know that you're called to peace? Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. To which indeed you were called. You were called to be ruled by peace. It's a calling on your life. Literally, if, if you are lacking peace, you not only don't have something that Jesus paid for, but there is a calling on your life that is currently going unfulfilled. You are called to live in the peace of God. Get, open your Bibles with me to John 14. Listen to what Jesus says in the scripture. In the context of the scripture, Jesus is getting ready to leave the disciples. He's getting ready to go to heaven, and so he's trying to comfort them by telling them a few things. And this is what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 14, 27. I want to talk to you about three standout statements in that, in that verse that Jesus says that are absolutely life-changing. Three statements that Jesus says. The first one he says, he says this. He says, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. This tells me two things. The first thing it tells me is that the peace that Jesus is talking about is so tangible. It's so noticeable. It's so manifest that when he tells the disciples, I'm leaving it with you, it makes sense. Right? The, the peace that Jesus is talking about is such a tangible presence that when he tells them that, it, it clicks. It makes sense that he can leave it with them because it's so tangible. The second thing it tells me, and this is exciting, not only is the peace of Jesus tangible, a tangible presence, but it's also transferable. He said, listen, he says, peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you. It's something that can be given. It's something that can be left. This is the peace that Jesus intends us to have. It is a tangible presence of peace on our lives that can literally be given to others, can be imparted to others. I, I know I'm getting a little bit deep. I'm going to show you in scripture. Don't worry. Some of you look concerned. Don't be concerned. Fear not. <laughs> Go with me to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, starting in verse 11. The Bible says, Jesus is telling his disciples as he's sending them out. He says, whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. 
As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Church, this is very exciting stuff. Like, we are literally called to carry such a tangible presence of peace with us everywhere we go that when we enter someone's house, we can literally leave it abiding there when we leave. That's the kind of peace that we're... I'm going to show you one more scripture in Mark 4. Go to Mark 4. This is exciting to me. I hope it's exciting to you. Go to Mark 4 with me. Jesus. Hallelujah. Mark 4. In the context of this scripture, (laughs) the disciples are out on a boat and there's a storm. The storm is so bad that they're sinking, right? They do what I would consider to be the logical thing to do. Right? Like, if, if I'm on a boat and it's sinking and Jesus is sleeping underneath, I'm probably going to go wake him up too. Like, they get rebuked for it, but I, I mean, I, I can't say I would do anything different, right? Jesus is sleeping downstairs. I'm probably waking him up to my shame, right? But, but so they go down and they wake him up because Jesus is still sleeping. The storm is so bad that the boat is sinking and Jesus is still sleeping underneath. See, in the reality that the disciples lived in, the storm was scary. But in the reality where Jesus lived in, there were no storms. He was still asleep. But they go down, they wake him up. So Jesus comes up, comes up to the top of the ship, and this is what happens. He awoke, and he rebuked the wind. I want you to notice, there's two things that happens. He rebuked the wind... And he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he looked to his disciples, and he says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? And that's, that's another key, right? Fear oftentimes comes down to a lack of faith. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? But the main thing I want you to notice from the scripture is Jesus does two things in the scripture. He first speaks to the problem, right? He first speaks to the chaos. And he takes authority over the chaos. And then he speaks to that which was affected by the chaos. The sea was not the problem in this story, okay? It was the wind. The sea had been affected by an outside force of chaos. As a side note, sometimes we assign the blame to the wrong thing. We assign the blame to a person who has been affected by chaos. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It is not the person that is affecting you, that is attacking you. It's not the sea's fault, right? It's not the person that is attacking you. It's the principality behind it. And when you understand how to respond in these situations, you know how to wage good warfare. 
Jesus does two things. He speaks to the chaos first, and he rebukes it. He commands it. He rebukes it, right? Some of us understand that we have authority to, to command the storm. Jesus has given us authority to command the storm. Amen? Amen? Jesus has given us authority to command the storm to cease. Amen? So some of us understand that side, but then Jesus takes it a step further, and I love this. He speaks to that which, was, which the storm affected, which was the sea, and he releases peace into it. He rebukes the, 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 the storm, and, and the wind stopped. And then he speaks to the sea, peace, and there's a great calm. You not only have the authority to command the storm, but God has given you a peace that is so tangible that we are to walk with that every room you enter gets affected by the peace that you carry. That every chaotic situation that you walk into has to be calmed because you carry the peace of Jesus Christ. Not only can you calm the storm, but you can release peace into chaotic situations, into chaotic people. Amen? You guys with me? So not only is it a tangible presence, it's transferable. He's given us the right to transfer it. Amen? The second statement that Jesus makes, he says, not as the world gives, do I give you. In other words... He's telling his disciples, listen, you might have just thought, thought of the wrong thing when I said I'm giving you peace, right? Because what the world understands as peace has nothing at all to do with true peace. What the world understands as peace is not what Jesus is talking about. It couldn't be further from it. The, the two main dictionary definitions of peace are freedom from disturbance or, no, or noise or freedom from or cessation of war. So freedom from noise or freedom from war. That's what the world thinks is peace. The world's understanding of peace is totally situational. If my peace is the absence of something, then as soon as that thing appears, I have no more peace. The peace that Jesus gives us, it is not the absence of something. It is the presence of a person. The peace that Jesus, right before he says this, he says, I'm sending you the helper. In the same chapter, I'm sending you the helper. The peace that Jesus is talking about in this chapter is the abiding presence of Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit. That The Bible says in Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. The world understands peace as the absence of war. Christians understand peace as the presence of Jesus. That's really good news, okay? Because that means that, means that whatever situation you go into, no matter how, how bad the storm is raging outside, you can stay sleeping underneath in the boat, right? No matter what's happening on the outside, you have peace on the inside. It's not situational. You can have peace in a foxhole. There is no situation that's stronger than the peace of Jesus. That is the peace that we're called to have as Christians. It's not what the world talks about. He says, it's not as the world gives, do I give you. The third statement, the third statement that Jesus makes <clears throat> 
And this is an interesting one. So he says, I'm giving you my peace. It's not what you're thinking. It's not what the world gives. It's something totally different. And then he says this. He says, so let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So Jesus tells us of this amazing peace that he's giving us. And then he tells us our responsibility in it. I'm giving you peace, but there's something you have to do to walk in it, right? I'm making it available. I'm giving it to you, but there's a part that we have to remain in it. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. <laughs> I think that, 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 that the stupidest saying in the world is follow your heart. <laughs> I'm sorry if you have that tattooed or something. <laughs> now that I said it, probably someone has it on a sign hanging on their wall at home. I hate that saying. <laughs> I hate that saying, right? Jesus doesn't tell us to follow our hearts. He, tell us to, he tells us to lead our hearts, right? He doesn't tell us to, to follow them. He tells us to guard them. If you spend your life following your heart, you'll spend, it you'll spend your life following your heart right into fear, right? Because the, the heart has a natural propensity towards fear. It wants to protect itself. Don't follow your heart. Guard your heart. Lead your heart in the peace of God. Could the worship band come? We're going to close in just a couple minutes. I want to give you, and in just a few minutes, uh, you know, he's, pastor's going to come. I know we have to close soon. So pastor's going to come. He's going to do an official close. But then we're going to open the altars for prayer, okay? Because I, I want to believe God with you today for an impartation of peace. You know, even as I pray, I can sense that there is people in here who are dealing with anxiety right now. Even as I talk about it. I can sense that there's people in here that are a little bit resistant to what I'm saying, right? That are dealing even with fear and anxiety right now. I want to believe God this morning that that thing would be supernaturally crushed out of your life. I believe that this peace is, I told you, is transferable. It can literally be imparted, right? And so we want to pray for you. Me and, and, and Marcus and, and Sebastian and Pastor, we want to pray for you at these altars for an impartation of the peace of Jesus Christ in your lives. Amen? We're going to do that in just a, few mo just a few moments. But first, I want to give you three things that you need to guard your hearts from as you leave this place today. Amen? So if we have to guard our hearts... Don't let them be afraid. I want to give you three things to guard your heart from so that you can remain in the peace of God. Amen? Amen? The first destroyer of peace, the first thing to guard your heart from, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. If you live a prayerless life, you are opening the door to the spirit of fear. Pastor, I want to encourage you. As I was worshiping, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I love his prayer life. About you. When you were up on this stage, I felt the Holy Spirit say, I love his prayer life. You have to, you have, to have a prayer life. You have to have intimacy with God. Listen to what the Bible says in, in Philippians 4. Philippians 4.
It's always hard with a mic. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. It is impossible to leave the place of prayer anxious. <laughs> I didn't say it's impossible to pray an anxious prayer and leave anxious. <laughs> okay? That's, that's very possible and I've done it. Okay? It is possible to pray an anxious prayer and leave anxious. But it is impossible to leave the place of true prayer, of faith prayer, like it says, with thanksgiving. That means faith, right? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, knowing that God is already moving, you're already thanking him as you're asking. It is impossible to leave the place of true prayer anxious. But prayerlessness will be a destroyer of peace in your life. The second destroyer of peace. Lawlessness. Prayerlessness is number one. Lawlessness is number two. I could give you so many scriptures on this one, but I'm going to stick to one. Go to 1 Peter 2. First Peter 2, 11. Listen to this. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. The passions of the flesh are sin, right? Abstain from, from sin, which wages war against your soul. I want you to understand, you can be at peace in war when the war is outside. But you cannot be at peace when the war is inside of you. Sin wages war on the inside of you. Sin will wage war against your soul. Prayerlessness and sin, the first two and the main two destroyers of peace in your life. We cannot live a life of sin as Christians and expect to have peace. Because we're at war. <laughs> we're the ones at war. The third one. Mindlessness. Thoughtlessness. Isaiah 26 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Learning to take control of your thought life, right? Thoughtlessness and mindlessness will lead you right into anxiety. Paul says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, he says, I take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. I take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. The problem for many of us is that we are not taking our thoughts captive, but rather we are taken captive by our thoughts. When that anxious thought comes in your mind, that fearful thought, oh, what if this happens? 
What if I show up to that event and I, and I feel awkward? What if, what if I step out and, 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 and try to reach out to my coworker and they think I'm weird? What if this happens? When that anxious thought comes in your mind, in that moment, it is our responsibility to take it captive in obedience to Christ. Because if you do not take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. There will be a captive in the scenario. It will either be the thought or it will be you. One of the biggest issues that I see is people don't, haven't learned to take those thoughts captive and it'll make them obedient to the truth of Christ. And so when those thoughts come, they entertain them. And they start to dwell on them. And they start to think, uh, think about them. And those thoughts grow and that anxiety grows. And it opens the door to the spirit of fear. For fear to take root, right? Church, we got to take our thoughts captive. When the anxious thought, when the fearful thought comes in, immediately we take it captive in obedience to Christ. Immediately. Those are the three biggest destroyers of peace. Prayerlessness, lawlessness or sin, and thoughtlessness. Holy Spirit, move right now. <sighs> Jesus, move in this place. Move in this place. I just rebuke the spirit of fear that has been affecting people in this room right now in Jesus' name. I command anxiety to leave right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we know that you paid for a church. You paid for a group of people who could run around saying, since I met him, I haven't had an anxiety or a panic attack since. Since I met him, I've never felt so free. Pour out your peace in this room right now, God. Pour out your peace in this room. I just believe God wants to do something special at the altars. I'm going to have Pastor come, and he's going to he's going to do an official close. If someone needs to leave, that's fine. But after that, I want to open these altars, and I believe that 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 God wants to do something special and something powerful in your lives. If this is something that you've been struggling with, if you've been struggling with anxiety, if you've been struggling with fear, if that's been an, an issue in your life, the, the last thing to do is to leave here without prayer, right? Even that thought that came in your mind right now, well, I don't, I don't want to go forward. What will people think? Take it captive. <laughs> Take it captive in obedience to Christ. Oh, well, what if nothing happens? Take it captive. Those worrying thoughts, those anxious thoughts, those fearful thoughts, this is the time to take them captive. Amen? I encourage everyone here, if this is an issue that you've been struggling with in your lives, do not leave here until you've come forward to this altar and made a commitment to God. I'm not going to live in fear anymore. And allow us to pray for you. And I'm believing God for an impartation of peace this morning. Amen? Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Access Church Podcast of the Week. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged by this message. 